0: A warning for listeners, this podcast features harsh language and descriptions of war, terrorism, and violence. It's important to hear, but it can also be disturbing. In our last episode, you heard about the Afghans who left during the U.S. withdrawal. In this episode, we'll tell you about someone who made it here, but doesn't know how long she'll be able to stay. Manaz is an Afghan woman raised in Iran. Around 2010, she decided to return to Afghanistan because things seemed to be going well in her country. It was during the surge, near the height of U.S. troop numbers in Afghanistan. Here's Manaz.
1: A lot of good things happening in Afghanistan because US U.S. soldiers came to Afghanistan and this security is good.
0: When she came home, Manaz was excited about her country's future and she wanted to be a part of it. So in 2011, she decided to join the Afghan military.
1: When you go to military and join to them, like you can like find yourself in your country and you can feel your country with all your body, with your heart, or and your mind. So it was really good for me.
0: Minaj joined what's called a female tactical platoon. It's made up of Afghan women soldiers who help capture or kill Taliban leaders. The FTP went out on night raids with the Afghan military. Soldiers like Manaz were equipped with rifles and night vision goggles. Their targets were often at home with their families, women and children. Soldiers like Manaz would be there to speak with them.
1: Like the job of female Tahiti Putum was like searching and protect female and children in missions. And we go to the high rank positions, Taliban's house. There was female and children in the house, and so FTP uh, was at that missions.
0: the u s. and Afghan governments thought the female tactical platoon represented a key part of Afghanistan's future, an elite group of highly trained Afghan women to fight insurgents. But this work, made them big targets for the Taliban, who restrict women's participation in all aspects of public life. Somanaz had to keep her work a secret, but she loved her job. She flew across the country in military planes, and she saved lives, making lifelong friends.
1: We really love our job. Like, it was really a dangerous job. I mean, every time that you go to the mission, you know that maybe you don't come back, But we know like this kind of danger, but we accept that.
0: But the work changed in 2020. The Americans were starting to leave and the Taliban ramped up their attacks against the Afghan army.
1: We have a lot of civil war in every provinces or other like villages. We had a lot of uh, war that was going on in the country, especially five or six months before evacuation.
0: Manaz wasn't going out on many missions around this time. The FTP exclusively worked at night. Now the fighting between the army and the Taliban was almost constant during the day. So Manaz was forced to watch as the Taliban took over Afghanistan and headed toward Kabul. In the meantime, she was trying to plan in the event of a Taliban victory.
1: Our advisor in the US they were trying to put us in SIV program. We thought maybe we can go to the US and get their citizenship and then maybe come back to Afghanistan. I didn't believe that Kabul will fall because I believed to soldiers, I believed to my colleagues, I believe to commando.
0: But then the Taliban took Kabul on august fifteenth and the Afghan president fled.
1: And you could feel like fear, like in faces. Like fear of maybe losing their young son or losing their young daughters. The city is different, like all the streets was empty and all shops, hotel, restaurants, and every, everything was closed. You couldn't see anything.
0: Manaz got in touch with other members of her platoon sprinkled across Kabul. They heard the Taliban was searching for them. So the women were getting rid of any paper trail that led back to the female tactical platoon.
1: I remember one of my colleagues called me that said that the Taliban are near our house and I'm going to burn all my documents. They start to burn them.
0: From Lawfare and Goat Rodeo, this is Allies, a podcast about America's eyes and ears in the war in Afghanistan. I'm your host, Bryce Clem. In our final episode, you'll learn about the efforts to get people like Manaz resettled in the US. You'll hear about the bureaucratic mess that they're still going through and how Congress could pass legislation to help, but it might not even come up for a vote. This is Episode 7, Adjustment. This is Manaz's friend, Rebecca Edmondson. She's an American soldier who helped train the members of the female tactical platoon, including Manaz.
2: As an American woman, you know, entering that environment with all of the ideas that I had and You know, we were all kind of scratching our heads saying, like, really? Is this going to work? And they proved that not only did it work, but they were incredibly successful and such an asset to the mission that kind of made people think, like, why have we not been doing this the whole time?
0: During the withdrawal, Rebecca was in touch with members of the female tactical platoon. Many of those women took pictures of their employment documents before they were destroyed. These documents identified them and were the same ones they might need if they came to the U.S.
2: So the unfortunate thing is is that the ones that didn't prepare in that manner are now you know, left without those artifacts and those things that help substantiate their cause, especially as we're talking about the way forward with asylum and justifying their presence in the United States. It's, just, it's a really tough spot to be in because they felt that they had no other choice, and it is what it is.
0: While the Taliban took control of Kabul, Rebecca knew the FTP would have to flee the country. But it was going to be complicated. The women weren't eligible for a special immigrant visa because they were employees of the Afghan government, not the U.S. government. It's a distinction that Rebecca says seems pointless.
2: Their unit was funded directly by U.S. Sources And it's, it certainly doesn't make sense to me why, you know, one person that was paid through said contract and then this other category of humans that, by all means, you know, supported our cause in Afghanistan for a very long time wouldn't meet the same criteria.
0: They'd have to figure out Manaz's immigration status later. After the Afghan government fell, the only priority was just to get her out. Some American partners told Manaz that she had to head to the airport. So she met up with two of her nieces and some other members of the female tactical platoon. At midnight, they made their way to the airport. Afghans were crowding around the gates, trying to get in. So Manaz was told that her group had to stay together in the crowd.
1: All FTPs should be together and their hands should be tied to each other. You have to be together. If you miss each other, like, we can't help you.
0: The group fought their way through the crowd outside the gates and made it into the airport.
1: And it was really hard and it takes like a couple hours to go inside. After a couple hours of trying, we just uh, get inside the airport, maybe 30 or 40 of them with family.
3: And
2: Rebecca, when did you hear word that she had finally gotten into the airport? Ooh, which time? Because Manaz, you know, made it in and, you know, willingly left to go back out into the crowds and find her other teammates.
1: One of the things that I supposed to do to find the girls between the crowd and show them, like, to the American soldiers to help them to bring inside the airport.
0: Manaz repeatedly left the airport to go back outside in the chaos to get her colleagues. She was able to help track down the rest of the group and get them through the gate. She did this for three or four days. Her memory is a bit hazy because she barely had a chance to eat or sleep. Manaz was so worn down that an American partner said she had to leave. So she got her last bit of paperwork and screening done and got on a plane.
2: Yeah, we we were all in this um, signal chat together and everybody was passing up information as they were receiving it. And when we all got word that Manaz had made it through, it was a huge relief. As Manaz stepped onto a military cargo plane, the
0: aircraft gave her a surreal feeling. She had been on planes like this countless times over the years, to go on missions throughout Afghanistan. But now, this one was taking her away from her country. This plane was taking her away from her life, her job, her friends and family. It was taking her away from her home.
1: And when I saw the plane, I just remember all the memories and it was really awful for me. At that time, I didn't really like that plane.
0: During the flight, Manaz was packed in with other Afghans. She remembers how quiet the plane was how everyone was leaving a war zone. But no one said a word.
1: I don't know how to explain that. Like, somebody has, like, a baby. Someone was pregnant. Some man was old. Everybody was kind of silent. Even baby didn't cry.
0: Rebecca, do you remember when she arrived in the United States?
2: Oh. I, I actually do. Um, yeah, it was um, it was very somber. I, I don't really know a more appropriate word to, to give it, but, you know, sometimes you see these depictions of people arriving to the United States, and it's this very joyous and heartfelt moment, but, you know, upon seeing Minaz for the first time in many years... I could just sense that, you know, whatever she'd been through is far more intense than I could even really comprehend. You know, I wanted to, wanted to hug her and, you know, express my gratitude for her having made it here, but it, none of that really seemed appropriate. It was, I can't even call it bittersweet because I don't know there was a lot of sweetness. It was just, it was very difficult and um, I'll, I'll never forget that day.
1: Like, when you're going to travel to another country, maybe people are happy because it is their choice. But at that time, it wasn't our choice. When I landed to US, like, my family was in Afghanistan. My colleague was in Afghanistan. What happened to them? I lost everything in Afghanistan, and so I wasn't like, I wasn't, I, I didn't have a good feeling about coming to the U.S.
0: So, during the U.S. withdrawal, around 80,000 Afghans made it out. Now that they're here, will they even be able to stay in the U.S. permanently? Manaz is here under what's called parole. She's allowed temporary entrance into the U.S. because she can't safely return to her country of origin. Most of the Afghans who came here during the withdrawal are currently under this parole status. Her friend Rebecca says they don't know what the future will hold.
2: There's not a clear outcome that we're aware of at this point because they are here as parolees and I think that that's just such a huge source of the daily stress is not knowing you know what exactly is going to happen compounded with all the other things with their families being still behind and and everything else so that uncertainty is is really you know wearing on folks
0: that parole status is a lot different than the special immigrant visa that we've been telling you about SIV holders like Fred or Janice get permanent residency, also known as a green card, when they get their visa. Parole basically lets you work and live in the U.S. for a limited time, so Afghans like Manaz have 24 months from their entry into the U.S. to apply for something called asylum.
4: We've got a lot of folks that are here, 76,000 evacuees. We want to make sure that everyone has a, has a decent chance of staying here permanently and not having to fear being returned forcibly back to a, a country that they fled.
0: That's Shala Ghafari, a managing attorney for Project Afghan Legal Assistance at Human Rights First. She's been helping Afghan evacuees with their immigration applications in the U.S.
4: And making sure that, you know, them being here, that they have a shot to, to bring their loved ones here as well.
0: But many Afghans have to figure out what their path to a green card is and what to do about their family members who are still stuck in Afghanistan.
4: A lot of men left their wife, their infant children, their pregnant wives, their elderly parents, their you know, disabled siblings. It is even more upsetting because they know the fact that they don't have permanent status means that there's no solution for their family members that they left behind.
0: So... These Afghans have to apply for asylum. What does that mean? The requirements to claim asylum are that you would have been persecuted for things like political opinions or religious beliefs so you can't return to your home country. Gafari says with the Taliban now in control of Afghanistan, many people have a strong asylum case. Many of these Afghans were religious or ethnic minorities. Others built their lives around a new Afghanistan.
4: We've also got a lot of artists, a lot of athletes, um, musicians, diplomats, scholars, academics, women's rights activists, human rights activists that were lucky enough to be evacuated. The vast majority were not evacuated.
0: But their path to actually get asylum in the U.S. is difficult. After you submit your application, you have to have an interview at an asylum office. The questions are supposed to center on the reasons for your claiming asylum. Things like, what is it you fear about returning to your home country? How have you been persecuted?
4: But instead what we're seeing is some minority uh, percentage of those questions uh, being asked about the persecution and the harm and the fear they have of return, and the large majority focusing on questions surrounding security.
0: Gafari says these interviews are focused on vetting asylum applicants. Some of the questions are easy to answer. Have you ever fought alongside the Taliban? Have you helped them or trained with them?
4: These are questions that the government can and should ask, right? Because we certainly don't want to let people in this country that aren't passing security measures, right? But instead, the kind of questions that we're seeing are, are you sending money back home to Afghanistan? Yes. Who is it going to? A family member. You know, what are they doing with that money?
0: Gafari says these questions slow down and complicate an already tedious process. But the federal government recently did create some exemptions to account for those types of payments. Still, there aren't enough immigration attorneys to help applicants through the process. So lots of Afghans are sifting through the American legal system with little help.
4: So we really fear that among folks that start panicking and filing for asylum on their own, that a lot of those folks could be denied for avoidable reasons. And they end up having their cases sent over to the immigration court, where they have another shot at filing for asylum. But the backlog there is just unbelievable. It's at five and six years in some cities. So clogging an already clogged immigration court system.
0: The frustration during this process is so palpable that Gafari says some of her clients regret coming to the US. Others have even considered returning to Afghanistan. The US government did all this work to bring these people here, but applying for asylum has lots of problems, so they might not even be able to stay. In the face of all of this, some are pushing for legislation called the Afghan Adjustment Act, or AAA. It could change the way Afghan refugees are processed into this country. Sean Van Diver is a veteran of the U.S. Navy and a founder of the Afghan EVAC Coalition. That's a group of public and private organizations working on resettlement issues. The Afghan EVAC Coalition plus others like Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service, have been hoping that Congress will pass the AAA in order to help Afghan refugees.
3: Yes, they could request asylum. That incurs a lot of legal bills. It's still very stressful, right? And, and there's like all these hoops you have to jump through. Um, but like they didn't get here on their own. We brought them here. We brought them here outside of the normal immigration processes, and that's why this adjustment is so important.
0: The language is still being hashed out. But here's some basics. Vendiver says the AAA could let Afghans apply for a green card after just one year of parole. That way, they wouldn't have to go through a lengthy asylum process. This could also prevent a bottleneck of asylum applications.
3: So I think we're approaching that time where we hope to see a large number of asylum claims. Without the Afghan Adjustment Act, That's going to mean a lot of money in legal fees, because there just aren't enough pro bono attorneys and there aren't enough attorneys who are trained in this. Plus, Van Diver says
0: many of these Afghans were already screened when they flew over. The AAA could sort of cut out the middleman and streamline the whole process.
3: If we get the Afghan Adjustment Act, all an adjustment of status would do is kind of normalize that and put them on a pathway to lawful permanent resident status. And then perhaps American citizenship someday.
0: Separate from asylum reforms, this bill could make a bunch of other tweaks to resettlement. It could expand SIV eligibility to include partner forces that the U.S. trained, groups like the Female Tactical Platoon. And the AAA could waive fees for applicants that are
3: applying for lawful permanent residence. We've asked that it include vetting. I mean, that's the big, that's the big draw for Republicans for the, for the Afghan Adjustment Act, right, is that it includes another round of vetting. And it includes a bunch of improvements to the efficiency of the SIV program and the United States Refugee Admissions program to make that smarter, faster, better, and more inclusive. Supporters have tried to
0: get the bill attached to larger legislation. In this case, They hoped the Afghan Adjustment Act would be part of an aid package for Ukrainian defense. But when it came time to have that bill signed into law, the AAA was removed. It was knocked down by Republicans Jim Jordan and Chuck Grassley. Van Diver says he's heard the same concerns that SIV advocates have been hearing for years. Broad questions about vetting and
3: security. A bipartisan effort in August should be a bipartisan effort now. And it's, frankly, it's really disappointing to see folks doing their, their gymnastics. They didn't seem to care a lot about this stuff back then. Now, the
0: future of the bill is up in the air. Van Diver says it's unlikely that the AAA will get voted on during the rest of this congressional term. And if Republicans take back the majority in 2022, it will be even less likely to
3: pass. I wish I could be more optimistic with you. If we saw Republicans get on board, because all the Democrats support this. If we saw Republicans get on board, this could pass tomorrow. And I just, I guess I don't understand why our members of Congress would even have to think twice about supporting something like this and getting it right, rather than retreating to their nonsense partisan bullshit.
0: So without the Afghan Adjustment Act, Van Diver says they're preparing to be inundated with asylum applications. They're preparing for more roadblocks, more bottlenecks, more frustration. They're preparing for more Afghans to yet again get lost in a bureaucratic maze.
3: Frankly, I don't think anything's gonna pass. That's why we're starting to look at like, okay, so how do we train up these lawyers to apply for asylum? And like, of course we have to do it the hard way because we're gonna treat wartime allies even worse than we treat veterans right like we we say that we care but when push comes to shove we're not willing to do the do the bare minimum
0: despite the setbacks some good news came in june it's a bit complicated but the department of homeland security and the state department announced new policies for afghan evacuees they removed some barriers to asylum and visa applications for those in the us or in third countries for example Until now, paying to get through a Taliban checkpoint could have qualified as material support to a terrorist organization. Now, DHS can apply exemptions on a case-by-case basis. Other exemptions could apply to people like civil servants who may have been forced to work under the Taliban regime or those who fought alongside US coalition forces. But it's still not enough for the tens of thousands of people the U.S. left behind in Afghanistan. Their future is in the hands of a government and a Congress that's unlikely to do anything substantial to help them. These Afghans face the same uncertainty that's followed them for two decades. It's the same inaction that got interpreters like Shocker Jeffrey and Billy left behind. It's the same inaction that left Fred and Janice on a battlefield for years while they waited for visas. It's the same inaction that made Hakimi and Jawad fight through crowds to get out of Kabul. It's been 20 years since this war started and over a decade since the SIV program was expanded. And yet, we're still asking the same question How did we end up here? Over seven episodes, you've heard from a lot of people who have tried to answer that question. They're Afghans and Americans, veterans, civilians, politicians, diplomats, and ambassadors, citizens who saw this problem up close and decided they had to do something about it. Many weren't immigration experts lawyers or government employees, many had never been to Afghanistan, but they did whatever they could to try and honor America's promise to its allies. Some lobbied Congress, others welcomed Afghans into their neighborhoods, and they're people who are worried about what these broken promises mean for this country going forward. Journalist George Packer.
2: It doesn't create much reassurance for other people that Americans are going to stand by their word, which is painful to say. Can you trust us? Are we as good as our word?
0: If we ask you to risk your life for something that we say is important for us and you, would you do it? Corey Shockey, a member of President George Bush's National Security Council.
4: The way we left Afghanistan, leaving allies to get themselves out of the country when they didn't have the ability to get themselves out of the country, not only is that a a disgrace of our honor, but it's gonna make it harder to find allies willing to run risks alongside us for what we're trying to create in the world. It will make everything we do going forward harder and costlier because we have demonstrated we're an unreliable ally.
0: Veteran and writer, Elliot Ackerman. Anyone can come to the United States and if they buy into our values and our way of life, they become American. And so many of the people who aspire to those values or believe in those values and are willing to put the most on the line for them are people who don't hold American passports. It's very important how we treat those people. Are we actually going to argue that there's no correlation between this catastrophic evacuation and how weak it made NATO look? Are we honestly going to argue that there's absolutely no correlation to what Russia has just done in Europe in February a few months later? There are costs to this. Advocate and author Kirk Johnson.
3: This is just a really fundamental question of what kind of country do we want to be? Do we owe these people or don't we? Do we want to be the kind of country that just decides, hey, tough luck. You went for the wrong team. Good luck out there. Or do we want to honor that? I just, till my dying breath, will always... Question why we make this so hard for ourselves. I just, frankly, just wish we were better than we are.
0: Right now, the U.S. government, nonprofits, and advocacy groups are still trying to get people out of Afghanistan. Manaz, the Afghan you heard from at the top of this episode, worries about her country every day.
3: The Taliban have ordered women to cover up from head to toe. The hardline pivot is confirming the worst fears of rights activists. The
4: economy is in free fall and people are suffering. The World Food Program estimates half of the country's population will be acutely food insecure this year. The Taliban are on a campaign of revenge killings, slaughtering the Afghans who fought against them over the past two decades. I have
1: a connection with my colleagues in Afghanistan. They are not in good situation because they were soldiers before in Afghanistan, and the Taliban are looking for them. And one month ago, they captured, like, about around eight of my best colleagues. Every single day, I had a lot of good memories with them. My colleague, like, they sent me a message, and they called me that, what is going on? Do you know that? The U.S. government have a plan to help us to come inside the United States. But we don't have any answer to them because nobody wants, like, help them to come here.
0: Manaz thinks about her work often. She thinks about the missions— She thinks about her friends. She thinks about what it felt like to fight for her country.
1: I want to say to the people, people are, they are hungry. Like the soldiers, Taliban, they are hunting them, they are killing them. They need somebody, they need help. I'm going to say that Don't forget my country. Don't forget Afghanistan.
0: Allies was created, written, and produced by the show's lead producers, Max Johnston, and me, Bryce Clem. Ben Wittis is our executive producer. Mixing and additional editing from Rebecca Seidel. Production and editorial assistance from Ian Enright, Isabel Kirby McGowan, Kara Schillen, and Megan Nadalski. Theme music and scoring from Max Johnston, Rebecca Seidel, and Ian Enright. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Senior producers at Goat Rodeo are Megan Nadalski and Ian Enright. At Lawfare, Editorial support from Natalie Orpet, Jacob Schulz, Rohini Kurup, Catherine Pompilio, Claudia Swain, and Scott Anderson. A special thanks to Manaz, Rebecca Edmondson, Shala Ghaffari, Sean Van Diver, Corey Shockey, Elliot Ackerman, George Packer, Kirk Johnson, and the countless other voices who made this show possible. Thank you for listening to Allies a production from Lawfare and Goat Rodeo. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review the show. It really helps spread the word.